0: The Complete Norse Mythology Adapted by Kevin Crossley Holland Music by Mats Vent Read by Tom Harris Part 3 The Theft of Edun's Apples Very early one summer morning, Odin, Loki, and Honir crossed into Midgard, happy in one another's company, and intent upon exploring some part of the earth not already known to them. In the pale blue, almost pale green light that gives an edge to everything, the three friends crossed a desolate reach of grit, patrolled only by the winds. Before men in Midgard had stirred and woken, the gods were striding over scrubby, undulating ground. Then they tramped around a great mass of spiky, dead, dark rock, and headed for the summit of a conical mountain. All day they trekked and talked, and in the evening they followed the course of a rapid milky river from a glacier down into a valley, a jigsaw of fields, yellow and brown and green. Odin, Loki, and Honir had not brought any food with them, and were beginning to feel very uneasy about it when they had the luck to come upon a herd of oxen. While Loki sized them up, chose one, and killed it, Odin and Honir gathered fallen branches from a grove of stunted oaks and made a fire, then they cut up the ox into huge pieces and put the pieces into the heart of the fire. The smell ravished the gods. They could hardly wait to eat. As soon as they thought the joints were roasted, they scattered the fire and pulled the meat out of the flames. It's not ready, said Odin, surprised. We must be so hungry that a little time seemed long to us. Loki and Honir raked up the brands and put the meat back into the fire again. Suddenly, a chill wind channeled down the valley. Although the sun still loped across the western sky with the wolf at its heels, all the heat had drained out of the summer day. The three gods wrapped their cloaks around them and sat and waited. Do you think it's ready? asked Honir. What do you think? Shall I find out? One of these days you'll choke on your own uncertainty, Loki said, leaping to his feet and scattering the fire for a second time. It must be cooked by now. Odin took a piece out of the flames. It's still not ready, he said, and it ought to be. There's nothing wrong with this fire, Onir said. And yet our dinner is as raw now as it was to begin with, said Loki, looking at the meat and grimacing. Well, said Odin, something is working against it. Something's sitting up here, said a voice from above them. The three gods at once looked up into the leafy branches of the oak tree above the fire. They looked and they saw an eagle sitting there, and it wasn't a small one. Let me eat my fill, said the eagle to the three upturned faces, and your ox shall be cooked. The gods conferred and were of one mind. Since we too want to eat tonight, Odin told the eagle, we agree. There is nothing else we can do. Then the eagle screeched. It flapped its immense wings, swooped down from the tree and settled over the fire. At once it snatched up both of the shoulders and both parts of the rump as well. Then it eyed the gods and, crouching at the root of the oak, began to eat. Loki was so angry that he raised his staff and rammed it into the bird's body. The eagle was thrown off balance and dropped the meat. It screeched again and took to the air. One end of the staff was firmly lodged in the eagle's back, and to his alarm Loki found that he was unable to let go of the other. He pulled and twisted and yelled to no purpose. His hands were stuck to the staff. The eagle flew at great speed, and it took care to fly close enough to the ground to make sure that Loki did not have a smooth ride. The trickster was dragged across the floor of Midgard. His knees and ankles banged into boulders. His legs and feet were scratched by gorse bushes and thorns until they were bleeding. "'Mercy!' shouted Loki. The eagle took no notice. It dragged Loki on his backside across a glacier until he was all but skinned. "'Mercy!' yelled Loki again. He thought his outstretched arms were going to be wrenched from their sockets." Only, said the eagle, rising to give Loki a little respite, only if you will swear. What? shouted Loki. Anything! Mercy! Only if you swear to bring Eden and her apples out of Asgard. Loki closed his eyes and pressed his lips together and said nothing. He knew now that the eagle could only be one of the giants in disguise. The eagle swooped again and Loki could hardly bear the pain as his kneecaps and shins and ankles and toes cracked against rocks and boulders and scree. Mercy, employed Loki, I promise you, I swear it. Seven days hence, said the eagle. Lead Eden over Befrost when the sun is halfway between east and west. I promise, called Loki. The trickster found that his hands were at once set free, and he fell to the stony ground. Very slowly he picked himself up and looked at his wounds. Then in the gathering darkness he began to limp back toward his companions. Seven days passed, and Loki found Idun wandering through the sloping field above her hall. She was singing softly to herself, and was quite carefree. The sun caressed her. Childlike she moved, untroubled by the world's troubles around her. Petty squabbles suffering, savage wars, and always time passing. Her basket of golden apples was looped over one arm. Eden, Eden, called Loki. Bragi's wife paused and turned. I've come at once. You can't imagine I could scarcely believe it myself. Speak more simply, said Eden. Deep in the forest, just beyond the Bivrost, I came across a tree quite unlike the others, unlike any tree I've seen in the Nine Worlds. It stands in a glade, and it glows with a soft light. Eden opened her grey eyes wide, and Loki went on to describe his find so carefully that anyone less trusting would have known it came straight out of his head. Eden, it bears golden apples, he said, "'jabbing with his forefingers at one of the apples in the basket, "'the same is yours, and perhaps like yours they contain unending youth. "'We should take them at once for the gods.' "'Edun smiled and nodded in agreement. "'Don't forget your own apples. We must compare them,' said Loki. "'And he led the way over the sunlit field and out of Asgard. "'They hurried past Heimdall's Hall, "'and then Loki took Eden by the hand and walked with her over Bivrost.' The flames danced around their feet, and they were unharmed. The eagle was waiting. As soon as Eden set foot in Midgard, it rose from a thicket. It beat its dark wings, swooped on the goddess, and snatched her up. It carried her and her apples straight over the sea to Jotunheim, for as Loki had suspected, the eagle was none other than a giant. It was Thiazi "'Thiazze lifted Eden to his storm home at Thrymheim, high in the mountains. "'Here you'll stay,' he gloated. "'Without you, without your apples, the gods will age, and I will remain young forever.' "'When they missed Eden, the gods at once grew extremely anxious. "'They knew that without her magic apples, they would wither and grow old, "'and indeed they soon began to crumple inside their clothes and to seem smaller than they were before.' Their skin hung over their bone houses, bunched or puffy or wrinkled, or stretched so tight that it looked as though the bone would break through. The eyes of one became bloodshot, and the eyes of another misty. One god's hands began to tremble. One lost all of his hair, and one could not control his bowels. Their joints creaked and ached, and they felt utterly limb-weary. The gods felt the spring in their step and the strength in their bodies ebbing from them hour by hour. Then the minds of the gods lost their skip and began to soften. One became outspoken about the shortcomings of the others, and one began to ramble like an idiot. But most of the gods grew quiet and did not trouble to say many things they would have said before, and they were all obsessed by the same concern with time, the same fear. When they did speak, they repeated themselves, or they began sentences and did not complete them. The summer sunlight shone on Asgard, Flocculent clouds drifted overhead, and the minds of the gods wandered even as they worried about their old age. Odin knew he must rally his own strength and summon the gods to counsel. Everyone in Asgard made his way to Gladsheim, a dismal, straggling procession under the sun. Of all the gods and goddesses and their servants, only Edom and Loki were missing. Allfather looked at the great gathering of stooping, shuffling, mumbling figures. We must find Eden, he called. You see how it is without her, without her apples? And it will grow worse. Who was the last to see her? I saw Loki lead Eden over Bifrost, said Heimdall's servant. There was a deep silence in Gladsheim. No one doubted then that Loki was the cause of what had happened to them. ''There is only one thing to do,'' said Odin. ''We must capture Loki.'' Weary as they were, the gods searched for the trickster. They looked in every hall and outbuilding, and in every copse and corner of Asgard. They knew their lives depended on it. At last they found him asleep in Eden's own field, and they seized and bound him before he could do anything about it. Loki was brought to Valeskjalf, protesting.'' And there Odin at once charged him with leading Eden out of Asgard. "'Bring her back!' said the All-Father. "'Your choice is easy to explain and easy to understand. "'Bring Eden and her apples back. "'Otherwise we'll put you to death.' "'It is true,' said Loki, "'that I walked out of Asgard with Eden. "'But then I had no choice.' "'Loki told them how the eagle that had carried him off while he was trekking with Odin and Honir "'was none other than the giant Thiazzi. "'And I had to agree to those threats to escape with my life,' said Loki. "'Did you have to fulfill them?' asked Odin. "'Loki's eyes gleamed, red and green. "'Since you consort with eagles,' said Odin, "'we'll draw Blood Eagle on your back.' No, said Loki, and he shrank before Odin's savage eye, and your rib cage will spring apart. No, said Loki, cowering, like wings, said Odin, and his teeth were clenched. I will find Eden and her apples, said Loki. If Freya will lend me her falcon skin, I'll fly at once into Jotunheim, I swear it. Then Odin shook and released Loki, and Freya, beautiful Freya, her face like a pouch now and her hair falling out, went directly to her hall with him. She pulled down the falcon skin, hanging over one of the beams. You're not quite so beautiful now that you're bald, said Loki. Freya said nothing. Her body shook. She wept tears of gold and handed Loki the falcon skin. Thrymheim perched on the top of a precipitous skur, and seemed actually to grow out of the dark rock. The winds whirled around it, and they found their way through the halls into the cold, drafty rooms. When Loki reached it in the early evening, he was fortunate enough to find the giant Thiazzi was not at home. He had gone off fishing, and his daughter Skadi had gone with him. Loki discovered Eden in a smoky room huddled over a fire. She turned to him, and at once the schemer extended his falcon wings. He murmured the runes, the magic words, and turned Eden into a nut. Then he picked her up between his claws and flew off as fast as he could. In a little time, Thiazi and his daughter returned from the day's fishing. When the giant found that Idun was no longer there, he roared and hurled his pails to the ground. He knew there was no way in which the goddess could have escaped from Thrymheim without help. Then Thiazi donned his eagle skin for a third time and set off across the mountains in the high, lifeless wilderness. The distance from Thrymheim to Asgard was immense, and the eagle was stronger than the falcon. As Loki drew closer to Asgard, so Thyazi drew closer to Loki. When he sat in Hlidskjalf, looking over the nine worlds, nothing escaped Odin. No movement of man or giant or elf or dwarf. Bird in the air or animal on earth or fish in the water. What other gods could not see at all, Allfather fixed and followed with his single eye. Now he saw Loki flying at great speed towards Asgard, and the eagle Theazi chasing him. At once he ordered all the gods and goddesses and their servants, worn out and short-winded as they were, to hurry out of Asgard with bundles of plane shavings, all the wood that the servants of the gods prepared to kindle fires in their great halls. Pile them up against the walls, said Odin. Loki is coming. The still summer air began to hum, as if an unseen storm were near. "'and about to burst on them. "'It began to throb, "'and then the gods and goddesses saw the falcon "'and the huge eagle close behind it. "'From a great height, "'the falcon dived down over the walls of Asgard, "'still holding the nut between its claws. "'Light the shavings!' cried Odin. "'The shavings!' "'The flames leapt up, "'almost unseen in the bright sunlight. "'The eagle was so close behind the falcon "'that he could not stop himself. "'He flew straight through the flames. "'His wings caught fire.' Thiazze blundered on into Asgard and fell to the ground in torment. Then the gods stumbled back through the gates into their citadel and quickly killed him there. Loki threw off Freya's falcon skin. He looked at the grey, aged, anxious ones pressing around him and scornfully laughed in their faces. Then the sky-traveler bent over his trophy. He cradled it between his hands and softly spoke the runes. Idun stood there, young and supple. smiling. She moved innocent among the ailing gods. She offered them apples. The Marriage of Njord and Skadi. Beyond the girdle of flint-grey water and the loveless lava flows, beyond the burning blue crevasses, lay Thrymheim, the storm home of Skadi and her father Thiazzy. It was a wonder that the hall withstood the charges of the wind and the batteries of hail. Theazi was not there. He had gone in pursuit of his prisoner Idun, the goddess who had escaped him. Skadi waited for them to return, and as the sun slipped over the horizon, the sky in the west seemed to catch fire and blazed. The white night dallied and yielded. Another dawdling day passed and still Thiazze and his captive did not come back. Then Scotty was alarmed, and thought the gods must have ambushed him, and even as she waited she knew in her heart that she would never see her father again. Scotty's pale eyes gleamed. She grew cold with anger, then icy with fury. She swore vengeance on his murderers. Scotty walked from chill room to chill room in Thrymheim. She donned a coat of mail and a helmet and chose the finest of her father's weapons, a sword engraved with magic serpentine pattering, a spear with a shaft of ash, a circular shield covered with hide and unlaid with birds of prey, gleaming gold eyes and gaping red beaks. Then she set out for Asgard, now that Edun walked among them again, and the giant Theazi was dead, now that they had recovered the apples of youth, the Aesir were carefree once more. They were aware of the clement sun as if they had never felt it on their backs before. They listened to each note of each bird call, and watched every grass blade growing. They felt at peace with themselves again, and at peace with each other. When Heimdall saw Skadi nearing the walls of Asgard and raised the alarm, the gods had no wish to see more blood spilt or to prolong the feud. Some of them gathered and met the giantess and asked her, Will you take gold for your father's death? What good would that be? asked Skadi. Have you never heard of my father's wealth? When his father Ovaldi died, he and his brothers and Gang came into a gold hoard. "'They measured it out in mouthfuls, as so to share it fairly. "'And whatever belonged to my father now belongs to me. "'No, I will not take gold.' "'What will you take?' asked the gods. "'A husband,' said Scotty. "'And she looked longingly at Balder, "'fairest, most gentle and wise of the gods. "'I'll settle for a husband in a belly full of laughter.' Then the gods conferred, and agreed that Scotty should choose a husband from amongst them as payment. They did, however, make one condition. You must choose him by his feet, said Odin. Until you've chosen, that is all you'll be able to see of him. Scotty was not unwilling, and Odin arranged for all the gods to gather in a courtyard so that the giantess could make her choice. Shielding her eyes from all but the gods' feet, Scotty lost no time at all, but at once chose the most shapely pair of feet, believing that they would naturally belong to Baldur, the most handsome of the gods. A good choice, said Odin. Scotty quickly looked up and gazed into the friendly knowing eyes, not of Baldr, but of the lord of seafarers and sea harvests, the god Njord. His skin was weathered and he had the clear gaze of one who has spent long at sea. He even smelt of salt. Scotty was startled. She stepped back and her icy look killed Njord's smile. I thought, she began. Think carefully, said Njord. Remember the words you speak now are the beginning of a marriage. I've been tricked, said Scotty bitterly. "'You might have chosen Loki,' replied Njord, unperturbed. "'So you have your husband, then,' said Odin. "'A fair reward for your father's death. "'Many would say, indeed, the better of the bargain.' "'You've forgotten the laughter,' said Scotty. "'That's easily put right,' said Odin. Scotty shook her head. "'Since my father died, I've brimmed with anger, "'or been drained by fatigue.' I'll never laugh again. Where's the trickster? asked Odin. Loki stepped forward, rather less jauntily than usual. He wondered whether Scotty knew that he had not only helped her father to steal the apples, but helped the gods to recover them too, and so brought about her father's death. Can you make this lady laugh? said Odin. If anyone can, you can. Not I, sir, stammered the sly god, as if he were some peasant standing before the high one. Not before I've told you what's happened, sir. Loki produced a long leather thong from behind his back. It was like this. I was going to market, and I wanted to take the goat there along with me, Loki winked at Scotty. You know how goats are, don't you, lady? They have ideas of their own. Loki stumbled across the courtyard where all the gods and Scotty were assembled and tied one end of the thong to the goat's beard. Both my hands were full, lady. I was carrying produce to the market, and so I tied this goat to a tegument. A tegument, said Scotty. Lady, said Loki, my testicles, and he looped the thong behind his scrotum. The goat moved a little further off to nibble at new grass, and the thong linking them tightened. Early in the morning it was, lady. Ah, very early. The goat suckers were still singing. The trickster cupped his hands to his mouth, closed his eyes, and made a magical soft whirring sound. Ruk squawked Loki as the goat suddenly yanked the thong. <coughs> "'squawked the goat as Loki pulled back. "'It was a tug-of-war. "'And when the goat gave way, "'it gave way so completely bounding towards Loki "'that he fell backwards into Scotty's arms. "'And Scotty laughed. "'Despite herself, she laughed, "'and for a while she forgave Loki everything "'because of her laughter. "'Playing the goat,' said Loki, panting. "'Enough,' said the Allfather. "'I've a mind to please Scotty further.' Then Odin took two liquid marbles from his gown, and Scotty recognized her father's eyes. But look, cried Odin. He hurled the balls into heaven. Two stars, he said. Your father will look down on you and on us all for as long as the world lasts. Then Yord asked Scotty to go with him to his hall, the shipyard Noatun. But Scotty said she would only live with Yord in her old home, Thrymheim. "'Since neither of us is going to get his way entirely,' said Jörd, "'we had better agree to take turns. 9 nights in one place, then nine nights in the other.' "'Then Yord and Scotty left the courtyard in the kingdom of Asgard "'and made their way to Jotunheim. "'They climbed over rock and scree, "'and through sheets of snow too bright for the eye when the sun shone on them, "'a dreary uniform wasteland when clouds masked the sun.' And the higher they climbed into a frozen world as still as death itself, the happier Skadi became. In Thrymheim she gave herself to Njord. After nine nights, however, Njord admitted that he had no love for the icy mountains. And, he said, I think the howling of the wolves sounds ugly compared to the whooping of swans. Then Njord and Skadi came back to Asgard and passed nine nights at Noatun and Scotty's dislike of the fertile, rocking sea was no less great than Jorn's dislike of the barren mountains. "'I cannot even sleep here,' she said. "'There's too much noise in the shipyard, and too much noise from the harbour. Boats putting out, boats coming in, the unloading of fish, and the mewing gulls disturb me, flying in at dawn from deep waters.'" It was not long then before Njord and Skadi decided that the gap between their tastes was so great that although they were married, they must live apart. Njord stayed at Noatun, and Skadi returned to Thrymheim. The giantess covered great distances on her skis. Her quiver was always at her side, and she hunted and shot wild animals. The ski goddess, that crouched dark shape sweeping across the desolate snowscapes, took injury and death wherever she went. She had been touched by the God of Plenty. She had yielded a little, and then frozen again. The Treasures of the Gods Somehow the shape-changer got into Sif's locked bedroom. Smiling to himself, he pulled out a curved knife and moved to her bedside. Thor's wife was breathing deeply, evenly, dead to worldly sorrows. Then Loki raised his knife With quick, deft strokes, he lopped off Sif's head of shining hair, her hair which as she moved rippled and gleamed and changed from gold to gold like swaying corn. Sif murmured, but she did not wake. The hair left on her cropped head stuck up like stubble. Loki swooped up the skeins. He dropped Sif's sheen hair to the floor, a soft, glowing mass. The trickster looked at it and grinned. Then he left Sif's bedroom. A joke, protested Loki, dangling a foot off the floor. What kind of a joke, shouted Thor, not loosening his grip for one moment. Only a joke, whined the Sky Traveler. All morning, Sif had sobbed and sobbed. She knew, and Thor knew, that only Loki could have shorn her hair. Well, what are you going to do about it, shouted Thor? I'll replace it, yelped Loki. I'll get help from the dwarves. I promise to replace it, or else said thor and he dumped loki to the ground loki raised both hands and cautiously explored the top of his head or else thor said i'll smash every bone in your body loki straightened his clothes and smoothed his hair and then suddenly he winked at thor he hurried out of asgard over befrost and down into the land of the dark elves he picked his way through a chain of chilly potholes And he skirted dark and shining pools until he reached a great cave the home of the sons of ivaldi the sly god explained to the two dwarves the reasons for his journey without finding the need to describe just how sif had lost her hair only you dwarves are skilled enough smiths he said and only the sons of ivaldi could spin gold as fine as sif's hair and imbue it with such magic that it will grow on her head what will we get out of this, was all that the sons of Ivaldi wanted to know. The thanks of Sif and Thor and the friendship of the gods, said Loki. That counts for a great deal, and above that I give you my oath that I'll repay you in full measure when you have need of me. The dwarves could see that although Loki offered nothing but promises, they were likely to get the better of the bargain since the most they could lose was a little effort and a few ounces of gold. They piled wood onto the furnace in the corner of their cave, and while one dwarf worked the bellows, the other began to hammer and spin the gold. Loki watched and marveled, and his eyes flickered red and green in the firelight. The sons of Ivaldi made a long wave of fine golden strands, and as they worked they murmured spells over them. The hair hung over Loki's outstretched arm like a single shining sheet, and yet a breath of air was enough to ruffle it. To waste this blaze is to no one's advantage, said one of the dwarves. We can please the gods at no further expense, said the other. So the sons of Ivaldi set to work again, and before the furnace had begun to lose any of its heat, they fashioned a marvelous ship for Friar, called Skidbladnir, and forged for Odin a spear called Gungnir, as strong as it was slender. Then the two dwarves gave Loki the ship and the spear and explained their magic power. As usual, Loki was at no loss for words. His mouth was full of air, thanks, and compliments, and promises to hurry back with the news of what the gods thought of such gifts. On his way back through the dismal underground caverns, Loki had an idea. He did not head straight for the welcoming light of Midgard. But turned down a long aisle studded with rock pillars, and carrying his three treasures, walked into the hall of Brokk and Atri. The dwarf brothers stood up to greet Loki, but when they saw the skein of hair and the ship and the spear, they ignored him entirely. Their hearts quickened and their fingertips tingled. Loki let them take the treasures out of his hands and turned them over and over, watching their scorn and envy grow. "'Have you ever seen such work?' exclaimed Loki." "'Such perfect craftsmanship?' "'Yes,' said Brock. "'Whose?' asked Loki. "'My own,' said Eitri bluntly. "'Well, then,' said Loki slowly, as if the thought were just forming in his mind. "'You think you can make treasures as fine as those?' "'Not as fine,' Brock said. "'Finer,' said Atri. "'No,' said Loki craftily. "'Surely not. "'I'll stake my head upon it, Brock.' I'll stake my head that your brother can't forge treasures the like of these. Brock and Atri were very eager to take up the challenge. It occurred to them that if they were as good as their boast, not only would they be rid of the scheme or Loki, but the treasures made by the sons of Ivaldi would be theirs for the taking. Leaving Loki with the horn full of mead and with orders only to wait... Atri and Brock stumped across their hall and threw an arch into the rocky alcove that was their smithy. At once Brock began to pile wood on the furnace while Aitri hammered and rolled a length of gold wire and cut it into hundreds of short pieces. Then Aitri laid a pigskin on the roaring fire and said to Brock, Pump the bellows now. Whatever happens, keep pumping until I pull this treasure out of the forge. A little while after Atri had walked out of the smithy, a fly alighted on Brock's leathery hand. It stung him. Brock glanced down but did not pause. He kept pumping the bellows, and when Atrey returned, he pulled Gulin Bursti out of the forge, a boar with bristles of gold. Now Atri picked a great block of unflawed gold. He heated the metal until it was glowing and malleable. Then he hammered it into shape and put it back into the furnace. Pump the bellows now, said Atri. Whatever happens, keep pumping until I pull this treasure out of the forge. A little while after Atri had left the smithy, the same fly returned and settled on Brock's neck. It stung him twice as sharply as before. Brock winced and flinched, but he did not pause. He kept pumping the bellows, and when Atri returned, he took Draupnir out of the forge, an arm ring of solid gold. Now Aitri humped a huge hunk of iron across the smithy and into the furnace. He heated it and hammered it. He struck at it and shaped it. He reshaped it. He tapped and tapped at it. His body ached. He streamed with sweat, and when he was ready, his head and heart were both banging with his own efforts. "'Pump the bellows now,' said Atri. "'It will all be wrecked if you stop pumping.' Very soon after, Aitri had walked wearily out of the smithy and looked around for their visitor. The fly buzzed around the arch into the alcove. This time it settled between Brock's eyes, and at once it stung him on both eyelids. The dwarf was blinded with blood. He could not see what he was doing. For a moment he took a hand off the bellows so that they caught their breath to brush the fly off his forehead and the blood out of his eyes. Then the shape-changer, Loki, for the fly was none other, returned to his waiting place in his horn of mead at this moment atri hurried back into the smithy what has happened he shouted he peered into the furnace so nearly he said he peered into the flames again and his glittering gray eyes did not even reflect them so very nearly spoiled then atri pulled from the forge an iron hammer massive and finely forged but rather short in the handle he called it mjolnir atri and brock stared at it they stared at each other They slowly nodded. Take this hammer and this ring and this boar, said Atri. Tell the gods the mysteries of these treasures. Go with Loki to Asgard and claim that schemer's head. Brock and Atri walked out of the alcove and found the sly one, the shape-changer waiting for them smiling. He cast an eye over their three treasures. Ready, he said. Loki and Brock made their way slowly across the shining fields of Asgard, laden with their treasures. Word of their coming ran ahead of them and they were met at Gladsheim by all of the gods sitting in their high places. Loki at once told of his visit to the world of the dwarves, and boasted that he had been able to exploit the dwarves' envy and greed to secure six gifts for the gods. Talk while you can, said Brock. Soon you'll have no tongue. It was agreed that Odin and Thor and Friar should decide whether Atri or the sons of Ivaldi were the finer smiths, and Loki began to display his treasures. ''This spear,'' he said, ''is for you, Odin. It is Gungnir. It differs from other spears in this way. It never misses its mark.'' The father of battle took the spear and raised it and looked around the hall. Nobody could withstand his terrible gaze. ''You may want to use it,'' Loki said, ''to stir up warfare in the world of men.'' Then Loki turned to Friar. ''This vessel is for you, Friar. It is Skidbladnir. As you can see, it's large enough to hold all of the gods, fully armed.'' As soon as you hoist its sail, a breeze will spring up and fill it and urge the boat forward. But when you have no need of it, you can take it apart. Loki swiftly dismasted and dismantled the boat until the pieces were together no larger than a piece of cloth. You can fold it up like this, said Loki, and put it in your purse. My third gift, said the schemer, I owe to you, Sif. He showed the skein of flowing golden hair to the goddess. As soon as you lift this to your head, it will take root and grow. You'll be no less beautiful than you were before. Thor's wife took the hair from Loki. She fingered it and she turned it over and over. Then she slowly raised it to her head. There was a shout of joy in Gladsheim. It was just as Loki said. Now Brokk produced his gifts. This arm ring is for you, Odin, he said. It is Draupnir. There is a little more to it than it seemed. Eight rings of its own weight will drop from it on every ninth night. Then Brokk turned to Friar. This boar is for you. He is ghoul and bursty. He can charge over earth, air, and sea alike, and no horse can keep up with him. And no matter where he goes, running through the night or plunging into the gloom under all of the worlds, he'll always be surrounded by brilliant light. He carries it himself because his bristles shine in the dark. My third treasure, said Brock, is for you, Thor. This is the Hammer Mjolnir. You can use it against anything, and use it with all of your strength. Nothing can ever break it. The storm god eagerly grasped the hammer and listened. Even if you hurl it, you'll never lose it. No matter how far you fling it, it will always return to your hand. And should you need to hide it, you can make it small enough to tuck inside of your shirt. All the gods stared at Mjolnir, astounded, and knew what powerful magic must have gone into its making. It has only one small flaw, added Brock. Not that it matters. Its handle is rather short. Odin and Thor and Friar wasted no time in giving their answer. All three of them were of one mind. That wondrous though all the treasures were, the hammer Mjolnir was the most valuable, because it alone could guard the gods against the giants. You, Brock," said Odin, have won the wager. Loki's head, shrieked Brock. Wait, cried Loki, what would you do with my head? I give you its weight in gold instead. There's no future in that, said Brock, and no future for you. The gods in Gladsheim laughed to see the trickster cornered well, said Loki slowly. Well, catch me then. He darted through the doors of the hall and made off as fast as he could. By the time Brock had made a move to stop him, the sky traveler was already well on his way, wearing his shoes with which he could fly over land and water. The gods in Gladsheim laughed all the louder. If you had any honor, you'd help me, shrieked the dwarf. Thor, help me! Thor was in no mood to see Brock humiliated. He leapt up from his high seat and stormed out of Gladsheim. The gods and Brock waited, and after a while Thor returned, dragging Loki after him. Not so fast, said Loki, raising a hand as Brock started toward him. It's true you have a claim on my head, but of course you can't have any part of my neck. The gods grinned and nodded, and Brock saw that Loki had got the better of him. In that case, said Brock, since your head is mine, at least I'll stop your sweet talk. I'll sew your lips together. Loki shrugged his shoulders nothing but fine words he said brock unwound a thong from round his waist and tried to skewer loki's lips with his knife it was no good sharp as the point was the dwarf could not even draw a drop of blood i could certainly do it with my brother's awl," said brock no sooner had he spoken than atri's awl lay at his feet brock picked it up and it proved sharp enough to pierce loki's lips the dwarf drew the leather thong through the holes and sewed up the trickster's mouth Loki ran out of Gladsheim, he ripped the thong out through the holes and yelped at the pain of it. Then for some, while the schemer stood listening to the hum inside the hall, the hive of happiness, he began to dream of revenge, and slowly his lips curled into a twisted smile. Skirnir's Journey Fry had no business to be in Odin's hall, Valaskjalf. And he had no right at all to sit in the high seat, Lidskjalf, and look out over all the worlds. That was the right only of Odin and his wife Frigg. Fry narrowed his eyes and looked north into Jotunheim. What did he see? A large, handsome hall belonging to the giant Gyimir. And what did he see next? A woman coming out of this hall. Her name was Gerd. She was Gemir's daughter. She seemed to be made of light, or clothed in sparkling light. When she raised her arms to close the hall doors, the dome of the sky and the sea surrounding the earth at once grew brighter. Because of her, all the worlds were hidden in a flash of brilliant, icy light. Fry looked and longed. The more he looked, the more he was unable not to look. His eyes burned like fireballs. His only desire was to win Gerd. Fry gazed at her until she had crossed a courtyard into her own hall. The worlds grew shadowy, and the god lowered his eyes. Then he left Hlidskalf and crept out of the hall. The god of the world paid for presuming to sit in Hlidskalf. He ached with an endless sad longing. He spoke to no one, and wanted no one to speak to him. He could not sleep, he did not want to eat, he did not want to drink. He could neither escape his fierce desire nor see how to satisfy it. Jord Fry's father, became concerned with his son. He called for Fry's servant, Shining Skirnir, and told him, Go and ask my son what has upset him. Why is he so angry or else so sad that he will not even share his feelings and set them free? I will ask him that, said Skirnir, but I won't like the answer. Skirnir approached Fry and said to him, First of the gods, why must you stay here in your hall day in and day out, without food or drink or sleep? Why do you shun company? What good would it do? said Fry. No amount of talk can help. Nothing can blunt this anguish. And what if the elf beams do shine every day? My mind is full of gloom. There is no grief so great that you cannot tell it to me, said Skirnir. We were children together, we've always trusted one another. Then Fryam locked his word hoard. He told Skirnir how he had seen Gerd from Hidskalf, and how she brightened the nine worlds with her radiance, and how he longed for her. No man, he said, has ever loved a woman as I love her, and no god would ever agree to our union. Skirnir listened and nodded. Go, said Fry, whether her father likes it or not, bring her to me here and I'll give you great rewards. Skirnir smiled. Give me the horse that follows its nose through the dark and will not bridle at magic flickering flames. And give me the sword that will fight against giants of its own accord. Then Fry handed over two of his greatest treasures. He lived to regret that, at Ragnarok, a sword to ward off the fire demon's cert would have been handy. Skirnir mounted and made off at once. As he galloped out of Fry's courtyard, his horse's hooves struck fire from the paving stones. He came to the banks of the evening in the early evening. Skirnir was ferried across the river into Jotunheim, and then night fell. Can you feel this darkness pressing against us? said Skirnir to the horse, and they galloped across lifeless flatland. Now we must head for the fells where the frost giants live. You and I share the same fate. We'll either get home again quickly, or we'll fall into the hands of some dreadful troll. Skirnir rode through the night, and during the night he and his mount galloped up a mountain pass and came to a curtain of fire. Fry's horse did not even break its pace and galloped straight through the searing magic flames. At daybreak, Skirnir, the Shining One, came down into a saucer of land covered with sour, grey grass. It was a loveless kind of place, surrounded by desolate hills that welled like breasts and were pocked by outcrops of rock. In the middle of this depression stood Gimir's Hall, and next to it his daughter Gerd's Hall, guarded by a fence. A pair of hounds were chained to the gateposts, and they were not pleasant. Skirnir looked around and saw a single herdsman sitting way up on the hillside. He turned away from the halls and rode up to him. Nothing escapes your eye, Skirnir said, sitting here on this hill. Tell me, how can I muzzle those hounds and enter Gerd's hall? The herdsman looked at Skirnir and said stonily, Are you doomed to die, or are you dead already? There's no way in which you can talk to Gimer's daughter this year or next year or ever. Skirnir conceded that the herdsman did not mean to help him. He wheeled away without more ado, and as he galloped down the slope again, he called out over his shoulder, "'Fearlessness is better than a faint heart for any man who puts his nose out of doors. "'The length of my life and the day of my death were fated long ago.' "'In her hall, fair Gerd heard the coming and going,' barking and shouting and asked her servant what is all that noise that echoes round these walls the ground shakes the hall itself shudders a man outside the fence he's dismounting now and now he has set his horse to graze welcome him then said Gerd coldly my heart says this visitor is my brother's murderer nevertheless tell him a horn of mead awaits him in this hall So Skirnir passed unharmed between the disappointed hounds and walked into the hall. It was colder in there than he would have wished. Dressed entirely in white, Gerd came forward to welcome him. Are you one of the elves, or one of the gods? How are you able to pass through the flickering flames to these halls? I'm no elf, said Skirnir, and I'm no god, although it's true that I've come through the fire curtain. He looked at Gerd and dipped his hands into the pockets of his cloak. These, he said, these are eleven of the apples of youth. They're yours, Gerd. I'll give them all to you if you'll promise yourself to Fry and call him your darling dear. Never, said Gerd icily. No one is going to buy my love with golden apples and promises of youth. And however long we live, Fry and I will never share one roof. Skirnir reached into the pocket of his cloak again. I've brought you this arm ring, he said. It is Draupnir. Long ago, Odin placed it on Baldr's pyre. Eight rings of its own weight drop from it on every ninth night. Be that as it may, I have no wish for it, said Gerd, and her voice chilled Skirnir to the marrow. There's wealth enough in Gimir's hall. Skirnir continued to smile. You see this honed and gleaming sword here in my hand? I am going to hack off your head unless you do as I ask. Force will get Fry nowhere," said Gerd. Her cold eyes glittered. Neither Fry nor anybody else. But if my father Gemir finds you here, I am sure he'll be glad to flex his muscles. Skirnir was undaunted. Look again at this honed and gleaming sword. The old giant will fall to his knees before this blade your father is doomed to die then skirnir laid down fry's sword and raised his own staff gerd gazed at it spellbound i will touch you gerd with this magic staff i will teach you and tame you you must make your way to the place where you'll never meet and never talk to any man again you will sit on the eagle's hill at the edge of heaven and stare down at hell's gates. And although you must eat, all food will seem as vile to you as the sallow snake seems to me. You'll become a sight to make our blood run cold. The frost giant Hreemnir will gape at you. You'll become better known than the watchmen of the gods as you peer out bleakly from your windy penthouse. Rage and longing, tears and torment will rack you. However you twist and turn, you'll not escape your fate troubled heart, a double portion of misery. Here in Jotunheim, spiteful spirits will pick at you and prick you every day, and every day you will crawl to the halls of frost giants, crawl for no purpose, and crawl without even hope. While others are glad you will grieve, your body will shake with sobs. You'll live always amongst three-headed giants, never one sleep with a husband. May lust grip you. May despair sap you. Be like thistle tossed into the hayloft and trampled underfoot. I went to the dark wood, the dripping forest, to find a magic branch. I found this staff. The greatest of the gods, Odin, is enraged with you. Fry will lose no love for you. Gerd, worst of women, you have unleashed the wrath of all the gods. Frost giants, listen! Rock giants, listen! Sons of Sutung, listen! And hear me, gods in Asgard, I forbid this woman to meet with any man. I forbid this woman joy of any man. Grim Grimnir, pale and unearthly in his shroud of frost, is the giant who will enjoy you in the gloom near Hell's gates. Under the roots of Yggdrasil, foul corpses will press on you, horns full of piss. However great your thirst, that is the best drink there will be for you. That is my curse." Gerd, I have inscribed a charm for you sealed to three runes, longing and raving and lust. But what I have written I can erase, if I have good reason. As she listened to Skirnir's spells, Gerd began to tremble terribly, and at length she raised her eyes slowly and gazed at her guest. Skirnir, she said, you are welcome here. "'Drink from this frost cup filled with mead for you.' "'Now her eyes no longer glittered like broken ice. "'They were filled with tears. "'I never believed,' she said, "'that I should swear to love one of the Vanir.' "'Skirnir lowered his staff and took the frost cup. "'Before I ride home, I must know everything. "'When will you meet the son of Njord?' "'There is a forest, Bari, that we both know well. "'It is beautiful there and peaceful.' and there gerd will give herself to the son of njord nine nights hence then skirnir bowed he took his leave of gerd and walked out of her chilly hall he called his horse to him remounted and rode swiftly back to asgard before it was morning sleepless fry heard him coming he stood outside his hall impatient and anxious skirnir smiled and taking his time dismounted skirnir "'Before you unsaddle, before you go a foot further, tell me, were you successful? "'Have you brought ecstasy or anguish out of Jotunheim?' "'The god and his servant stood in a shaft of soft orange light near the entrance of Fry's hall. "'Skirner gathered his cloak around him and looked at Fry. "'There is a forest, Bari, that we both know well. "'It is beautiful there and peaceful.' And there Gerd will give herself to the son of Njord nine nights hence. One night is long, cried Fry, and two nights are longer. How can I bear three? How can I? He raised his arms and threw back his head and closed his eyes. Often enough I've thought a whole month shorter than half one such night charged with this desire.